Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Unfortunately, my co-host Tom Nixon is not with us today. I hope Tom is enjoying his time away somewhere on a lake. Um, but I'm not alone. We do have a great guest to speak with here. Um, Joshua Barron is joining us. He's a criminal defense lawyer in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's the host of the Business of Criminal Law podcast. He and his wife have 12 ch- children, and he won't shut up about referral relationships on LinkedIn posts. Um, and I, I must note, that's Joshua's uh, take on it, not mine. Um, I enjoy his LinkedIn posts. Um very much. And I'm, I enjoy learning about referral relationships. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is, this is a great opportunity for me. I really uh, enjoy your podcast. Well, thank you very much. And, and you might have noticed I, I stumbled a little bit in your um, bio, I think because um, I, uh, you know, I was shocked at, in picturing myself in your shoes with 12 children, <laughs> given that, <laughs> given that I have, I have three and it seems overwhelming uh, many times. I know the, I think the saying goes, you know, um, you, you know, you have one child and it seems really hard. And then you kind of realize how that wasn't that hard in retrospect, once you have two and then three is a bit of a game changer because you're outnumbered. <laughs> um, yes. So, so I guess, you know, I think I'd be remiss and my audience would, would uh, want to hear more about, you know, what is life like with 12 children and how do you manage You're you're quite, prolific, Joshua, in terms of, obviously you have your practice, but uh, aside from that, you have your podcast that you're going to be launching, which we'll be talking about. Um, you're, you're very active on LinkedIn and probably other things too, that I'm not even aware of. So, so what's life like in the Barron household? You know, it's pretty crazy. Um, my wife is an organizational genius. Um, she, so the reason we ended up with as many kids as we do, we have three biological and nine are adopted through foster mm-hmm. care. And my wife, uh, she was an elementary school teacher in kind of a low-income school. And uh, when she finished her student teaching there, she decided she'd rather be a foster parent than do uh, than teach. And so hmm. um, she's really been sort of the 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 person pushing that. And uh, but she's so good at it that it goes way smoother than you'd probably think. We do have our days that are just absolutely chaotic, and um, I wouldn't be shocked if you heard like some of my kids banging through the background while we're talking, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, cause it goes surprisingly smoothly because she's so dang good at this. I try to help, but she's, she's the real genius behind it. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Uh, good for you. That's, that's quite a gift you've given to many, many children out there. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, thank you. you guys have, uh, and, and, and for yourselves as well, I'm sure. So, so yeah, that's really cool. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, awesome. Well, Let's dig in a little bit. I first wanted you to maybe just, I gave you a, a brief bio description, um, Joshua, maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit more about um, your background and, and practice and, and what you're up to these days. Yeah. So like a lot of lawyers, I kind of stumbled into where I am. I, I, you know, I went to law school because there was no math on the LSAT. And then I, um, my first job out of law school was doing real estate litigation and I couldn't have hated it much more. Uh, and then I was a prosecutor for a year for Salt Lake City, and that was that was a really fun job, but uh, wasn't quite right. And so I left, and in 2009, and started a criminal defense practice with, uh, with one of the other prosecutors there, Yosef Sharifi, and uh, and he retired in 2017. So now I'm pretty much doing it on my own. I have a fantastic paralegal named Laya who does a great job as well. Yeah, yeah, that always helps. Um, great. Well, I know that a big professional focus of yours is. Um, 
both probably pursuing for yourself and also trying to teach and inform others about how to develop valuable referral relationships. Um, And, and I know, you know, if I think back when I had a small practice of my own, um, I, I can pinpoint I think probably the two biggest matters, two biggest cases I had were uh, as a result of referrals, um, in this case, from from other lawyers. Uh, one was, but you know, it's interesting to look back and kind of reverse engineer how that all happened. Um, one was a trust and estates lawyer who had a small practice where, where I lived in my community, um, who had a client who needed the types of services I provided. Um, now, I never, never really interacted with that person outside of one year having... Um, done a little coaching where, uh, one of his children were on my, uh, was on my team. Mm. Um, and that was the extent of that relationship. Um, in the other instance, it was the uncle of a childhood friend of mine who was a lawyer who special specialized in auto dealership law, um, kind of a unique mm. niche. And, um, it was, he had a bunch of clients that were going to be losing their franchises, um, during the course of the jam and Chrysler bankruptcies. But again, never really interacted with them um, outside of just a kind of a loose connection. But, you know, mm-hmm. that that sort of maybe in, inform my opinion about referrals, which is that perhaps they're just the types of things that happen, you know, through luck or happenstance. I never really thought for whatever reason about having a strategic plan uh, around generating more referrals. Um, but I so I just wanted to kind of lay that out there as context. I have a much different opinion about referrals and their importance now. Um, but you can maybe just start and talk about like the issue of referrals, how they fit into the kind of business development and marketing framework and, and kind of some of your thoughts so we can lay some groundwork on this issue. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned those kind of weak relationships and how they led to business. Um, I think sometimes we think that we have to be like invited to our clients weddings or to referral sources, Mm -hmm. you know, just inner circle, Um, And I don't think that that's always the case Um, in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, he talks about these connectors um, who are really effective at creating culture changes, um, but they tend to be characterized by really large groups of weak ties is what he calls them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, finding ways to just consistently develop and maintain those kinds of, you know, not best friend relationships, but just staying, you know, in their consciousness and, and uh, having a positive association with you is really powerful. So I think sometimes we think, well, nobody's going to refer to me unless I pay them a referral fee or unless uh, I'm their best friend. And that's really not been the case for me. And it sounds like it wasn't your experience either that, that showing up consistently um, beats kind of those like deep dives with one or two people. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and just kind of expanding your network more broadly. Um, and also obviously having a, having kind of a, um, some sort of practice or system in place to clearly articulate what you do. You don't need to, you know, you don't often need to pitch it, but you need to be able to clearly articulate to your, to, to yeah. someone, to other people when they ask what you do, so they understand what value you provide. Right. <laughs> so that, so that you're referable. Yeah. I like you, you've oftentimes used the term, ref, are you referable on LinkedIn? And I like that. And yeah. I think that's part of the, part of it, right. Just clarity as to what you do. Yeah. I mean, so another book that I, that I read not too long ago that actually really helped me think about this is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And um, what he talks about is if you want someone to build a habit, one of the most powerful things you can do is to make it easy. So mm-hmm. when when I see new attorneys who say, I do, I do a little bankruptcy and I'm doing a little divorce and I've taken a few criminal cases, I mean, it, it just makes it hard for your referral sources to know what to send you. 
Um, and so they may want to support you, may want to send you referrals, but they just don't know how. Um, so making it easy is really, it's just like this, you know, sort of multiplier to your efforts. Um, so I, I don't think that you have to specialize so narrowly that, you know, nobody, you know, there, there is kind of a, a Goldilocks area where mm -hmm. it's the type of case you want, but it's, it's enough so that they understand I've had, you know, people kind of reach out and I, I my specialization is just criminal defense. That's as far as I go in terms of my niche. Um, and some people have kind of advised me, you know, you need to be more specialized than that. And I haven't found that to be the case. Um, what I find is that I need to try to find a category that already exists in my referral partners' minds and then try to occupy that space rather than trying to help them create a new category that they didn't know. You know, oh, I only do domestic violence cases for people with immigration. You know what I mean? Like we can right. get into some niches, but then again, that's really hard for them to store. So I want to make it easy for them. I want to make it easier for them to remember and I want to make it easy for them to send the referral. And uh, Goldilocks has for me been just criminal defense, but uh, for a civil litigator, maybe it needs to be a little bit more specialized. Right. And I guess, you know, it, it, I like that framing it as a, what, what's the Goldilocks kind of positioning that you can carve out for yourself? Um, not too broad, not too narrow. Um, because at the end of the day, you also can, and I think referral relationships appreciate this, especially when there are other attorneys, you know, you always have the opportunity to say no and maybe make a re recommendation for someone else. I mean, I think referral, people who refer work out appreciate when someone occasionally says no, because that, that means that they're, they're taking on the cases that they can do a good job on, right? Right. Um, exactly. And I think that's that's one of the things I, I think people another if we're talking about misconceptions about referrals, I think sometimes people think it's a it's like a one way street, like the person who's making the referral um, is is providing a benefit and the person receiving the referral sort of owes them something um, mm. in, in the case in this in some cases, it is, in fact, a, a fee based you know referral relationship. Sure. But I think with many lawyers, they're not looking for a fee. I can't tell you how many lawyers I talk to who say, you know, I know a lot of people ask for referral fees for cases, but I really just want to put my uh, point my client or you know this prospective client in the right direction make sure that i have a comfort level that the matter's being handled appropriately and i look good as a result of that and i think that you know sometimes saying no and pointing someone in a different direction um, also serves that sort of reciprocal nature of the relationship you're doing someone else a favor because you're handling something in a matter that doesn't blow back on them negatively because they made made the referral um, and, and you're getting a benefit, obviously, for the work, but, but it, it requires that discernment in terms of what you take on, right? That's exactly right, yeah. And I think if we're looking at our work as a real service, you know, if, if you really believe that you can do uniquely good work for this kind of client, then, then it doesn't have to be that sort of indebted relationship. Um, you know, I think that it's really helpful to try to put ourselves in the shoes of the different people that are involved. And so I think you did a really good job of that right now, talking about the person who's sending the referral, what is the job that they're trying to get done? And I think one of the jobs that they're trying to get done is to get this person off their call sheet. Like I know that I have, I get so many emails that require follow-ups every day, phone calls, text messages. And if somebody says, hey, I need this kind of work done and I can send it to someone and then that just takes care of it and I never have to think about it again, that's a huge service to me. So I make a lot of referrals for types of cases that I don't do. Um, and that's what I'm looking for. So um, I think if we can have the empathy to see that we're really serving that person by, by, by helping them meet their need and then not having them go back and complain, I mean, that's just super, super valuable. I had a friend who... Um, 
I kind of wanted to just steal his business model. He was just really good at uh, building referral relationships. He didn't advertise at all. And I was just jealous. And I asked him about that. And I said, what, what advice would you have for, for me? And he said, uh, when I make a referral, I have a one strike in your out policy. If I send a referral and then I get a complaint from that person, I'm never going to refer to you again. And so um, that kind of helped me understand what he's trying to get. He's trying to get that person to the right lawyer and then never have to think about it again. And if I make it hard for him as the referral source by having this person go back and complain or, hey, I can't get a hold of Josh, then I've really burned that referral source and it's going to make them think twice before referring to me in the future. Yeah, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I know so far we've sort of been talking about this relationship being between say two lawyers or maybe a, you know a lawyer and a CPA or something like that but but clients and and former clients can be good referral sources too right um I, how do you think do you think any differently about that uh, in terms of kind of building an ecosystem of clients that refer work to you as well well i think that's pretty practice specific um, mm-hmm. So if you're an estates lawyer, then I think that that's right. You're going to get a lot of, hopefully, you know, if you're doing good work, you're going to get referrals from your former clients or current clients. Um, but in criminal defense, it's not as much because my ideal clients are, you know, doctors, lawyers, professionals who get charged with a crime, you know, and the yeah. whole reason they're hiring me is to protect their reputation. So I wouldn't really expect, I mean, if they want to make me a referral, I'd be happy to, but I can't imagine that they're like at dinner with some dentist friend and going, <laughs> you know, who helped me with my DUI, (laughs) you know? And so like, um, so that's why it actually took me years to even start thinking about referrals because I was thinking about it just from the client, you know, clients referring clients. And I wasn't thinking about it from this whole, like you said, that ecosystem of people who could be referral sources. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about 80% other attorneys, Mm -hmm. Um, but there is that 20% that comes from people that are either former clients who just don't care and they're willing to tell anybody. Um, you know, just random people like, you know, you coached your, your kid's team and, and, you know, so those kinds of random connections really do make, make a difference. Um, but for me, it's about 80% other uh, attorneys. I think for other practice areas, um, like if you're a personal injury attorney, it might be chiropractors or it might be, you know, there's all, you know, each mm-hmm. practice area and each person, depending on their circle is going to have a different kind of mix of who's sending them cases. Um, and I think the first and probably lowest hanging fruit for most practice areas is their former clients or current clients. That's a great place to start. But if you're in a practice area like mine, where that doesn't really lend itself to referrals, no matter how loyal they are, then, you you know, you need to start thinking about who knows your clients before you do and just starting, starting that relationship up. Yeah, no, that's great. I I think that's right. That whole notion of, um, I think with all clients, um, because you can get positive word of mouth, I know it's a little more discreet in your practice where people aren't going to necessarily, um, you know, be talking about you all that much to their friends and family because they don't want to talk about what what happened uh, right. that caused them to to bump into you. But um, in other cases, yeah, that whole the whole notion of client experience is really important. Um, I think for anyone's practice, uh, where it's not just what you do, but how you do it, and and that that whole notion of how you do it extends even beyond the end of a particular engagement, um, you know, right. again, keeping, keeping people in your ecosystem can, um, allow you to have just more people who are advocates for you, you and your practice out in the marketplace. Uh, I couldn't agree with that more. And so that was, so I was, when I asked the question on LinkedIn, are you referable? I was actually asking myself 10 years mm-hmm. ago and the answer was heck no, I was not <laughs> referable. And it was because I hadn't thought carefully enough about that client experience. So initially we thought, well, clients aren't going to refer us other business. So do we need to really be focused on that? But then going back to the job that the referral source is trying to fill, 
they don't want this person coming back and complaining. And my clients were for sure coming back and complaining because we were doing a volume business and we hadn't thought about the customer experience. So um, when my partner retired and we started thinking about how we wanted to do things, um, we started to really, well, first we measured um, our customer experience. We used a net promoter score survey um, and it was very discouraging. I mean, it, it said that we had a lot of work to do. Um, and then we started just being clear about what our clients wanted and trying to, to do more of that. And in our case, what was happening was we were getting really good outcomes for our clients, but we weren't doing a good job of relieving their anxiety and stress along the way. Um, and so once we explicitly started addressing that, and we say that in almost every one of our initial consultations, you know, I'm going to be there every step of the way. I'm going to help you take the stress of this off your shoulders as much as I can. That, that the clients really resonated with that. And then we had that foundation where I had the confidence that if you sent me a referral, I wasn't going to ruin your day when they went back to you and complained. So I think that really powerful customer experience is foundational, especially if you're in a domain where your clients are going to refer future clients. But even if you're not, it's, it's just such an essential, the sort of table stakes to be, to be able to start building a referral relationship. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that you you mentioned that you and your partner um, did a net promoter promoter score uh, sort of survey. Uh, and I've, I don't know if I've ever heard of a lawyer doing that before. Um, mm. And you know, for our listeners, I, I might be getting it totally wrong, but it's basically what it boils down to. It's sometimes referred to as an NPS um, as an acronym is assessing whether your former clients or, or current customers, uh, depending on what business you're in, um, would recommend you, right? Yeah, uh, that's to exactly friends and family right. kind of thing. It's, it's basically, are you referable? And, and so, um, you know, whether you do a formal NPS study or not on your practice, at least thinking in those terms, I think will help you help inform maybe some changes in your practice around client experience that you might change. And, and we did it, we just did an episode on client experience, um, in the last couple of weeks. If anyone wants to check out that on the podcast, I think that was episode 89, um, Joshua, so let's say we're, you know, it's a lawyer, maybe, I don't know, whatever level of experience they have, but they, they were sort of like me where they thought of referrals as something that just sort of happened. Mm -hmm. um, you can't really affect them all that much. Um, are, there, are there a few areas that you might tell that person to kind of focus on? Like what would be some ways to shore up your referral ability uh, if, if you were to take maybe two or three steps, um, you know, that would be maybe, maybe not easy to implement, but could someone could get started on right now? Yeah. I mean, I think what um, is, is sort of exciting to me about building referral relationships is that it's not a, it's not an area where it's super strategy dependent. Like you don't have to be brilliant to build referral relationships. You just have to show up consistently for these people. So here's, so some thoughts that I'd have is number one, who's already referring you cases. It's way easier to get someone who's already referring you cases to refer a few more than it is to get someone who thinks that you're the worst and try to move them into that referral camp. So I would say number one, who's doing it already. Um, and then I would say, how can we take care of those people even more? So we're not going to call them and beg. We're not going to we're not going to put them in an uncomfortable position. We're just going to say, what can we, what's the most we could do for these people? How can we show them how much we care about them? So that's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would, I would make a relatively short list of maybe 10 to 20 people who you think could be, or should be referring you cases and hasn't so far. Um, I would probably look like on a net promoter score kind of spectrum of one to 10, I would look at people who are sort of like sevens and eights, um, people who don't love you yet, but they're, they're kind of, they're, positive about you and then say, how could I just, 
how can I just exceed their expectations? Um, and so that's that second circle of 10 or 20 people. I'd have them on a little list next to my phone. And every day I would pick one of those people and try and do one thing for them. Um, again, not begging, not asking, but just, just serving. And, um, and that's going to pay off. The third thing I would think about um, is, again, I said that referrals aren't, I don't think the referrals are super strategy-based. They're more about consistency. And mm-hmm. so the biggest variable for my practice when it comes to consistency is me. So if mm-hmm. I am, if I pick sort of a strategy that I don't enjoy executing, I'm just not going to be consistent about it. So um, what I think that you ought to do is think about what are some activities that can build and maintain relationships that you already enjoy doing, and then just look for ways to do them more often. Don't try to, if you're not a lunch person, don't try to become a lunch person. That's way too much effort. If you're not a thank you note person, don't become a thank you note person. Look at what, what do you already enjoy doing that leads to relationships and just do more of it deliberately. Like set a goal. Like, so if you, if you are a lunch person, you want to do it more, let's do three lunches a week. And Mm -hmm. over the long term, like whatever you do, as long as you do it consistently will pay off. Like I just have a hundred percent confidence that that will pay off. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency is critical. Um, and I, it seems like too, you really have to have a clear understanding, getting back to this notion of like, what is your niche? What is your focus of your practice? Because, you know, that might help dictate, um, what you're doing as well. I mean, if you have a very localized practice, well, then you're probably going to be doing a little more in-person networking, relationship building. If your practice is maybe more, um, you know, regional or national in scope, then you're going to have to find ways to kind of scale yourself, uh, beyond your ability to be in a particular location. Um, and, and share your ideas through things like content creation and um, activity on LinkedIn. Um, how, how do you think about, because you're very active on LinkedIn. Um, I know in, you're oftentimes using LinkedIn to teach other lawyers about referrals, which I think is really smart because to me, um, A, it's something clearly you're interested in and, and have some passion around. Um, and B, if I'm, if I'm looking at it, you know, if I'm thinking, who do I need to refer work to, you know, in Salt Lake City? I mean, who else are you going to think about but you? Because you're the you're the guy talking about referrals, and you are um, and you're very active and visible on the platform. So, I guess, how do you think about uh, content creation and sort of personal branding? Maybe using LinkedIn or other social networks. And um, what recommendations would you give to other people, uh, just generally about about things like marketing and and content marketing and and personal branding? Well, it's really nice of you to say that you would refer me cases if you have any. It's all like I appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> um, so um, I, I have a really good friend who's a family law a lawyer, divorce, custody, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and for a long time, he had a newsletter and he would send me this newsletter and it would be like updates on divorce law. And I love this guy to death. I send him referrals. And I guess because it was in my inbox, I thought about his name. So it wasn't a total failure, but I don't care about you know, some new ruling on alimony that the Supreme Court has made. Like, that's just not, I don't, I'm not interested in that. And so um, when I, so LinkedIn for me was mostly a product of, you know, this pandemic. Like I couldn't, I, I'm mostly a lunch person. I love lunch, um, but I couldn't really do lunches. And so I had to think of another way to kind of waste that time, I guess, but also to try to build some relationships. And, and so I started thinking, okay, so what is something, so if 80% of my referrals come from other lawyers, and they don't care about some new Supreme Court decision about search and seizure law. What could I create for them that they would go, wow, I thank you. 
or at least have a chance to do that. I don't, I, you know, I probably don't succeed on that every time, but at least have a chance for that. And so I thought, well, most um, attorneys, I think, would rather have more cases or more of the right cases, and they'd probably rather not spend money advertising on Google to get them. So what if I just talked about referrals? And by and the side benefit of that is that I have to learn about referrals, so I have something to say and to teach other people. So um, I think, so for me, the the question has been what, Here's, here's the people that I want to be referring to me or who are already referring to me. And then I try to think really carefully about like the overlap between what would help them and what am I interested in? Um, I, I'm not going to be able to show up consistently and write about something that I just don't care about. So I'm not going to be like the expert on the rules of evidence. Um, but I am really interested in referrals and I've had to kind of go on a journey to learn about that. And so I'm happy to share that with people. Yeah, I love that. I love that you called it a journey. And I, I think that's one of the things that stops people from sharing their ideas on LinkedIn is that they they don't realize that what I think what most people like is kind of riding along on someone's learning journey. Um, and I, I just wrote about that last week, I think, because I, you do find resistance to to creating content from people who just say, well, I don't I don't really think I'm the foremost expert on something and you <laughs> certainly don't have to be. But writing, you know, I love it because writing is is the way, you know, you have to learn, you have to read, you have to inform yourself and you get smarter for having written about it. So I think that's that's a great approach it's been surprising to me too like i i always thought of social media comments as kind of this awful morass you know that you want to stay out of i've been really surprised by the things that i learn when somebody says i don't know if i totally agree with that in in the comments of something that i write and then i'll go oh you know what maybe i haven't thought about that as carefully as i should have and i don't feel super embarrassed maybe i should but i don't feel super embarrassed i just think like wow, like I wouldn't have had that insight that this person shared with me unless I had posted my flawed post. And then this person, and you've been one of them who's done it fin, you know, fantastically well. I learned a ton from your posts. And then you've been kind enough to comment on some of my posts and sometimes say, Josh, I don't know if you've thought about that very carefully. And so there's this cool community of people kind of giving feedback and saying, have you thought about this angle? So it's been an absolute home run for me in terms of uh, me learning and building relationships. And, and, I, and I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. And now you're getting into the podcast game. So yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to learn more about that. I guess what, what spurred you to start your podcast? Um, tell us about it and tell us uh, where we'll be able to find it. Cause it, as of our time recording today, it hasn't officially been released, but you, yeah. you tell us when, uh, when it's coming out and, and all about it. Yeah. The teaser episode is out there so you can subscribe if you want, but if you're not a criminal lawyer, I don't know why you would subscribe to it. You know, it's just, I mean, it's very specific. So it's called the business of criminal law. I wrote this little book called the business of criminal law and, um, got some nice responses to it. So I decided to just kind of, um, continue that thought. And, um, we don't talk to only criminal lawyers or I am not talking to only criminal lawyers. I talk to, you know, consultants and, people in other practice areas and, you know, anybody who I think might have an idea that would help a criminal lawyer build the business side of their practice. So um, it's not going to be about cross-examination or rules of evidence. It'll be about this business side of things. And uh, my hope is that for this kind of small group, it will be useful, hopefully. And, uh, and I've just, I've, we've recorded seven or eight episodes and it has been so fun to have this cool excuse to talk to people. And um, yeah, so I mean, so if you're a criminal lawyer or you know a criminal lawyer, this is for them. And if they aren't, it is probably not for them. Uh, but there, anybody's obviously welcome to, to hang on for the ride. And, and if it's helpful to them, then, then welcome. 
That's great. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out. And I, I encourage others to as well, even if it's just, I think it's sometimes helpful because I think a lot of people have um, a vision for a podcast um, you know, in the legal space, different lawyers out there. It's helpful for them to hear different shows just to get a sense of maybe what what formats are available, like what what's their unique approach to their podcast episodes, that kind of thing. So well, one way or the other, even if you're not a criminal lawyer, you should check <laughs> out Joshua's podcast. Um, and and Joshua, where I, I will encourage everyone to connect with and follow Joshua on LinkedIn. He publishes lots of great content, um, but where else would you point people to, to learn more about you or, um, you know, maybe check out your book, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the book's on Amazon mm -hmm. um, and uh, the podcast, for some reason, I can't get Apple to approve it so far, but <laughs> one day, one day they're going to approve yeah. it. Um, most other major ones that's been approved so far. So Spotify and, and a bunch of others. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been exciting. It's a little scary. Um, I think you're coming on the podcast soon and I am, uh, very intimidated because you're so good at this and I'm nervous <laughs> that I'm going to betray my, uh, inexperience, but, uh, you know, hopefully I'll just learn and get better and, and, uh, and help people along the way. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. So Joshua, thank you for, uh, joining us today as, as we were chatting about before we started recording, I feel like I know you because we've been connected on LinkedIn for so long and interacting with each other's content. Um, but it's, it's definitely been one of the cool aspects of having this show is that have the opportunity to at least via zoom, meet people and speak to them as opposed to just uh, interacting in the comments to post. So it was a pleasure to chat with you today and to our listeners. Thanks for joining us and hope you join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.